0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Oh, Merry Almost Christmas, everyone. When I was eight years old, my friends, I don't want to brag, but I was in a magical stage play. I was the star actor in this like wonderful retelling at my local church of, of the nativity story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, by stage play, I mean like I wasn't on the stage necessarily, but more like off to the sides on the outskirts. In fact, on the front stairs of the stage, but still part of the production itself. And by star, like I didn't actually have any lines per se, but I did have a fantastic outfit wardrobe, as the kids say, uh, that my mom put together. It was a bed sheet off my bed at home that uh, she wrapped around me, and then I had a sash that I wore around my waist, and then a, an old Santa beard that we found at the church that smelled kind of funny, and then a bandana wrapped around my head uh, that I think we borrowed from my sister. And of course, my pivotal role in this play uh, alongside four or five other, others was shepherd number three, the the littlest Not necessarily like part of it uh, per se, but a witness to the birth of Jesus in this wonderful nativity play. Witnesses to the birth of Jesus, but you know, the shepherds, we really had nothing to say. And for many of us, this is like the vibe, the understanding, the picture that we get Whether you've grown up in church or you've read the gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus, obviously the central figure is the birth, the incarnation of the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us. But I think a lot of times we miss or we skip or we forget the significance of all of the elements of the story of the nativity, in particular Luke's gospel, which is one of my favorites, um, of the entirely subversive way that God incarnates in Jesus, that God infleshes Himself in Jesus, that God shows up in the world. Now, um, the notion of like the God's uh, arrival would would not have been an unfamiliar. It would have been actually a very familiar perspective, concept, idea in the religious, spiritual, or mystical world, especially at the time of Jesus. It's fascinating that the birth of Jesus comes exactly at a time where God's coming down would have been like like a sigh and an eye roll. Uh, yeah, sure, we get it especially to the common person, to a Jew or a Gentile or otherwise. I mean, if you think about it, in, in, in the first century, when Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, comes onto the scene in humble and lowly beginnings. The Caesars in Rome, Rome was the most dominant superpower force in the known world. And they had already declared their dude or dudes Uh, beginning with uh, Caesar Augustus's father, Caesar Augustus's father an emperor predating Jesus declared himself the divine one. It was part of the principal lineage where the Caesars declared themselves as gods over not just the world, but over the universe. And then Caesar Augustus, Augustus is one of the first that we see on on the scene that is the divine son of God, Lord and master. He alone is worthy to receive praise, glory, and honor. So the Caesars came down from the stars to rule the earth through the powerful Augustus, the son of the divine one, savior of the world, bringing peace through Rome after a very bloody and devastating civil war skip back a little bit further. Um, we have the story in the Greek mindset in the Greek world of uh, the Titans, the gods that would th- soon rule. Um, and in particular, one of the Titans or the f- father of the Titans, really, Cronus, married Rhea, his sister, um, took her as his wife and started to have children together, six in particular. But then there was this like foreshadowing or this um prophecy in Greek mythology that there would be one son who would not uh, die and who would rule in power in Mount Olympus and like take over or uh, upset the throne, the rule, the power of Cronus. And so as the mythology goes, Cronus, the father of Zeus, um, he, he ruled for many ages, but then he he felt threatened by his own kids, and so if you read back, like again, a, a while before Jesus, but but kind of right around the same time as the um, all of these stories are coming together, Cronus is there for the birth of all of his six children, and because of his jealousy, he eats all of the all of them. He's there for the birth, he eats all of them, and then Rhea, his wife, also sister, um, remembers the story of like there will be this one son though that will rule. Uh, and will rule even more than Kronos. And so she actually hides um, this baby and she hides herself to conceal the birth. And then she takes a rock and wraps it in swaddling clothes or strips of cloth and lays it in a basket. And Kronos Kronos eats it and is sick. uh, And then the baby is saved. And this baby uh, grows up to be Zeus who rules on Mount Olympus and eventually avenges this like travesty of injustice in his father and kills his his own dad. Merry Christmas. So far, so good. Now in the Jewish mind, this is the background. When we get to Luke's gospel or Matthew's gospel or John's gospel, these are the two competing forces that govern the known universe. In the Jewish mind, things have been pretty quiet for quite a long time. In the Jewish mind, they were in the period of darkness or quiet or solemnity, the period of the, the intertestamental period, where for 400 years now, it seems that the spirit of God, God's voice and presence has been pretty quiet, pretty subdued, pretty dark. And so what did in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish custom, people have to celebrate, to lean on and to be reminded of, well, keep the law keep clean, keep obedient. No one can see God and live. And so these other fables and stories are nothing but embellishments or lies. No one can see God and live. So keep the law, the word of God, stay clean, keep clean, obey his commands, stay obedient. And then this story in Luke's gospel and all of the gospels in one way, shape or form, Jesus bursts onto the scene. Jesus is born and the announcement of his birth is made by a messenger of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, literally a messenger of Yahweh. The silence has been broken and the announcement is here, this angelic being, huge. In fact, just like Chris read, um, the first thing that this angel says to these people who he'll speak to is don't be afraid. Because why? Well, they were terrified. They see this angel, this visitor who likely was huge. We're not given a description of like what this person looks like. Um, He's given a name and title, obviously very bright. And then a vast like host, an army of angels appears to him, but they're worshiping. They're not fighting. They're not warring. They're not killing. They're worshiping. And the first thing that the angel says is, is, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, good news of great joy. And then the angel gives specifics of why this is happening, of where this child, this, this uh, lineage of David, born in the city of David in Bethlehem, the Savior Messiah of the world, Emmanuel God with us, where the child will be, what city, even down to the manger or the house or the feeding trough that Jesus is born in. And he says, this is how you'll know. You will find the child wrapped in strips of cloth, or wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger or a trough. And this is the sign that you are to look for. This is the announcement made by the messenger of God, but to who? Who is this announcement made to? Fascinating beautiful, wonderful story that we are a part of. Now, how typically, like I said, were announcements of the gods made in Rome? It was made through the Caesars. In Greece, it was made through the pantheon of gods and the lineage of who will be up next based on war. In Egypt, the announcement of the gods was made like by the kings or the pharaohs themselves who pronounced themselves as the intermediate area between, you know, the heavens and the earth. But then here, who is the first good news, literally the first gospel presented to shepherds, sheep herders, people out on the outskirts, not on the main stage, down the stairs in the front of the church, out in the fields, keeping care of their flocks by night so that none of their land or their sheep or their collected goods, their personal belongings are stolen. Now there's, two um, bits of historical data that show us exactly who shepherds were or how shepherds were understood to be in the first century. From a Jewish perspective, these were nomads. These were like wandering travelers who took care of sheep for meat, for sacrifice, for wool, and to help tend to or plod down uh, farmland that would eventually be taken over taken over by more wealthy people. From a Palestinian uh, context, most often shepherds were like thieves were wanderers were uh, robbers they they took from they would have like sheep and goats so you never really knew how to trust them these were the 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 people of the night who to like uh, told stories around the fires and you couldn't really trust him and this is the fascinating subversive perspective That that the angel of the Lord that God starts with in announcing the birth of his true son Jesus. This is how things start out in the public, how the announcement is made to the workers, the wanderers, the nobodies, the outskirts, storytellers living in the fields. I love that. The brilliant, subversive spirituality and deep love of God and Jesus to be like, yeah, 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 where does this usually start? Like in the kingdoms, in the empire, at the temple, in the palaces. No, I'll start with the woman and the woman in distress and the woman in distress with a marriage that is struggling to kind of come to grips with this news and a woman in distress, part of a marriage that is struggling who has to leave her home and go to her her ancestral town to register for a census to be taxed by the most powerful people in the world, the Caesars. And then this is announced further, the good news, the the public announcement of what is happening is made to nobody's. Is made to nobodies, the wanderers, the outsiders, the outskirters. In verse 17 and 18 of Luke chapter 2 that Chris just read, Uh, Luke, the evangelist here, not just the historian or the doctor, but the good news storyteller tells us that the shepherds passed on what they had experienced, that they were first afraid. They possibly like hid, who wouldn't? I mean, an angel of the Lord has just appeared to you that you read about in Torah, but you've never experienced for yourself. An angel of the Lord appears to you, you're terrified, but then they are consoled by the angel who tells them that this is the gospel, the good news. And they immediately decide to obey and test to see if this is actually legit, if it's true, if it is true that the Messiah, the Savior would be born in Bethlehem, there is a sign for them to pursue that this baby will be wrapped in swaddling clothes, in birth clothes, in strips of cloth at a stranger's house on the bottom floor where usually the animals are in a house, uh, in a feeding trough, in a manger Luke records them saying, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has told us about. Let us go and see if we find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Let's go and see about this good news of great joy that is for everyone, everywhere. Let's go and see whether or not this savior would actually announce himself to the angel of the Lord, to nobodies, to the lowly, poor, and destitute. Oh, amazing. I love that. And they do. They obey. They leave their sheep, or it's kind of a funny mental exercise to be like, well, we're not going to leave our sheep. It's our only source of income. So imagine these sheep herders with like flocks of sheep wandering into these local towns being like, y'all got a baby here? Y'all got a baby here? Y'all got a baby here? And then they come upon the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah. Messiah, the Savior, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, with all of their sheep in tow. And they see this child and this mother and father who are probably quite young. And it checks out. Just like the angel of the Lord said, there he is with his mother and father, far from home, lying in a trough. And they tell these parents, Mary in particular, all that they have seen and heard from the angel and are now confirmed with the reality of in seeing Christ, the child, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And then what happens, what happens? They don't stick around. They don't stick around. They tell Mary everything that they've experienced. Mary treasures these things in her heart. Oh my goodness, it's true. I wasn't crazy. This is actually happening. The whole world changed. Certainly my world changes now. And then the shepherds, they leave worshiping and celebrating. They know that they have to tell absolutely Everybody, they arrived in Bethlehem wondering if this was true. After all, no one can see God and live like they would have grown up accustomed to in reading and studying studying Torah. And then they find him. And then they realize. And then they are confronted with and encouraged by the good news, the gospel, the good news of great joy that is for all people. And what is it? That now everyone will see God and live. Everyone will see God and live. Emmanuel, God with us, all of us, always, whether in the inner city or the outer city, whether the in-skirts, the main stage, or the outskirts and on the stairs, whether up front or back uh, in the back, whether in the middle of like an urban center or out in the fields, protecting your sheep, wondering what is going on in the darkness. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And this is good news, my friends, of great joy that will be for all people. Jesus is Emmanuel God with us. Jesus is God with you. Jesus is God with me. So my brothers and sisters, wherever you find yourself, whether feeling like you're in the center of God's will, presence and plan, just celebrating the good news of this reality that Jesus is born, Merry Christmas, or whether you find yourself just like our shepherd brothers, kind of down the stairs in the outskirts, trying to find your way. May you, may we experience the peace of Emmanuel, God with us today and this week. May you truly be visited by the love of God and the miracle of Jesus' birth. And may you be reminded that this is the good news of great joy that is for all of us, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord has been born. My friends, my church, my spiritual family, Merry, Merry Christmas to you, Emmanuel God with us. I'd love to conclude our time here this morning with an ancient Irish benediction. Uh, that I think encapsulates this so, so well. So would you pray or celebrate these words with me? Lord, in this holy season of prayer and song and laughter, we praise you for the great wonders you have sent us, for shining star and angel song, for infant's cry and lowly manger. We praise you for the word made flesh in a little child. We behold his glory and are bathed in his radiance. Be with us as we sing the ironies of Christmas, the incomprehensible comprehended, the poetry made hard fact, the helpless babe who cracks the world asunder. And so we kneel before you, shepherds, innkeepers, wise men, mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, in thanksgiving and praise in Jesus' name for truly he is God with us, Emmanuel. And together we all said, amen and amen. Merry Christmas.